Hello, everybody, and welcome back. It's the BMW Blog Podcast. This is episode 39. Uh, we apologize for the delay in uh, this episode uh, versus the last one. Um, it's a bit longer than usual in between, but we've just been... This is some crazy stuff going on lately. So uh, we're going to try to catch up, um, catch you guys up on some stuff, and uh, we're going to try to start getting back to our normal schedule, um, which is good because we have actually have a great guest next week uh, for next episode, so that will come out on time. And um, that one, I'm not going to spoil the guest, but uh, it's a good one, so stay tuned for that. This week, I'm solo, though, and it's kind of just playing catch-up with some of the stuff that we've had going on, some of the test drives and whatnot, and uh, some of the news that's been going on in the BMW world and the car world in general. Um, but I think we're going to start off with probably the most recent thing that I'd like to talk to you guys about, and uh, that is the Alpina B7. Um, and that's because I had just recently had the chance to spend a week with the B7. Typical week, uh, a week is typically the length that we get cars for to test drive. But um, for a few of those days, I took a road trip. Um, my wife was in a wedding. She was the maid of honor in a wedding. And uh, it was about 250 miles away uh, from my house in South Jersey to somewhere out in Pennsylvania. I don't remember the name of the town, to be quite honest with you. But it was in the middle of like farmland. It was, you know, really out in the middle of nowhere. It was like uh, pretty Amish country out there. But it was really beautiful. The scenery was incredible. And it was this really like chic barn, you know, like modern country chic style thing where it's, you know, something you see on like uh, HGTV, you know, where it's like a barn, but it was gorgeous. And, and the, um, the the scenery was breathtaking. The actual like uh, grounds that the, the barn was on, absolutely gorgeous. So it sounds like it's weird, like I'm married in a barn, but uh, it, was, it wasn't as um, hillbilly as it sounds. It was actually really, really quite beautiful. But um, it was interesting because I knew I was taking the road trip, and I, I always love road trip stories. So every time I have a road trip to take, I always like to reach out to BMW or other automakers to see if there's anything um, worth taking a road trip for or, or with and uh, worth doing a story for. So I reach out to BMW, and I said, is there anything, you have anything big and comfy, something great that's new um, that I can you know, do a road trip story with? And they... <laughs> The press guy, the, the press fleet guy at BMW gets back to me with an email uh, with a list of a few different cars. And I honestly, I don't even remember what the other ones were because I saw Alpina B7 and I just, that's what I want. I, I literally couldn't slam the keys into my keyboard any quicker to get that email in because I wanted the B7 so bad. Um, I had driven the, the new LCI B7 previously, but only really briefly. And it was actually almost a year ago. It was, in, it was last November during a test fest with BMW in Spartanburg, South Carolina, which is at BMW's you know main uh, plant in the U.S., and they have a track there. We got to drive the B7 on some back roads around the track, and but it was only a really brief drive, and I, I really didn't get to truly feel what it was like. But to be honest with you, I wasn't that concerned because I had driven the pre-LCI car and loved it. So I kind of imagined that I'd love this one as well, and I was not wrong. Because, as usual, the Alpina B7 is an incredible machine. It really is a car. It's such a special thing. Because it, it's one of those cars that it just feels, everything feels so right. And everything feels so, like, impossibly right. <laughs> like, it just, it, there's, there's this weird feeling like this car shouldn't be doing this because it's too big and too heavy. But somehow it really works. It gets a car that traditionally I wouldn't like because I'm not really into big luxury cars but for some reason it handles and drives with this agility and precision that a big car of its size shouldn't 
And to be honest, most big cars nowadays handle pretty well for their size. Uh, the regular 7 Series, the S-Class, Audi A8, everything kind of drives, you know, with an, an agility that belies their size. But the B7 takes it a step further by not only being capable, which it's extraordinarily capable, and more so than all the aforementioned cars, but it's it's more enjoyable. There's a tactility to it where it actually feels like an actual driver's car, which is odd for something that weighs, I mean, it's pushing 5,000 pounds. You know, it's a very, very heavy machine. So the fact that it can carve corners with grace and with with beauty and it, it with the tactility and precision of a much, much smaller car really is astonishing, but that's not even the, the full scope of it because not only is it so astonishing in that regard, but it also rides beautifully. It's also incredibly comfortable. It's funny because I've driven the 7 Series, the new G11 7 Series, a few times, and it's a good car. It really is, but it's not a great car. It, it rides a little too firmly. I think BMW wanted to make sure that it handled like a proper BMW, and it does, but I think that there's a trade-off there, and that trade-off is that it's too firm for a $100,000 luxury car. It just is not comfortable enough for a car uh, in its segment. And that's a bit disappointing. And at the same time, while it's capable, it completely isolates you from the experience of driving it. So it, it can do those things, but you don't actually ever want to do those things in it. And so the 7 Series is a fine car, but it just isn't great, whereas the B7 is genuinely great. Um, I, I, say, I said in my review of it that I think Alpina, the only way they could make that suspension is with witchcraft. Because if it was just mechanical engineering, BMW would say, hey, Alpina, what do you guys do? How do you, how do you make that? And they'd copy it. But they haven't, so I don't think they can. <laughs> because I, th I think it has to be witchcraft. I, I, there's no other way that such a big car can steer and corner with a real grace and a real agility that's genuinely um, enjoyable and the steering was what really blew my mind about the b7 because in a regular 7 series you know steering is fine it's 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 actually the weighting is pretty decent it's light but it's not overly light uh, you know a luxury car should have light steering uh, but it's not too light and uh, the front end does you know bite well it's a relatively relatively accurate front end on the 7 series but but the b7 it just the way it weights up as you add steering lock, the way the you know the weight increases as it turns off center gives you a real sense of what the front wheel are doing. Now there's no feel in either car, the regular 7 Series or the B7. There's no actual steering feel, and there shouldn't be because it's a big luxury car. But in the 7 Series, the weighting doesn't change nicely, so you don't really get an idea, get a sense of what the front end is doing. Whereas in the B7, you do. Even though there's no feel, the weighting kind of just kind of builds beautifully as you turn off center, and it gives you this real nice a sense of direction. It gives you this real nice sense of what it's doing. Um, you'll, you'll never know how much available grip you have from the front tires because like I said there's no steering feel but you do get a sense of what the car is doing and because of that it just it really feels more like a sports car than it does a luxury car and it, that's really impressive especially considering it rides like a luxury car but it's never floaty, it never rolls, it feels really stable and another thing high speed is just it shrugs off high speed. It laughs at the idea of high speed. It is, I mean, I don't want to say how fast I was going on, you know, certain highways, but uh, let's just say if you were on the Autobahn, triple digit speeds are a walk in the park. 
I mean, if, if you want to do 200 miles per hour on the Autobahn, the B7 will not only do 200 miles an hour, which it can, it has a top speed of over 200 miles per hour. If you want to do two over 200, the B7 can do it and do it for a long time and feel easy doing it because it is so rock-solid stable. Now, obviously, I didn't hit 200, but it is just so rock-solid stable at any speed that I can only imagine 200 miles per hour doesn't isn't taxing at all for it because it's just such a remarkable uh, suspension and chassis. And, I mean, kudos to BMW for making a great chassis to begin with. And then Alpina just works their magic on suspension tuning and the all-wheel steer and the all-wheel drive and the steering and the transmission and the braking and literally everything. And that's not even including the engine and all that. But just the way it, it moves and and feels is just a step beyond, not just the 7 Series. I don't want to pick on the 7 Series, but literally everything else in the class. I mean, I haven't driven the Mercedes uh, Maybach, but I, I, I don't imagine that I don't think it's even designed to, to handle like the B7 can. You know, it's more of a luxury car. Um, and B7's expensive. It's like 140 something thousand dollars, if I remember correctly. Uh, about 140, 150 grand to start. And that's a lot of money. I mean, that's a huge sum of money for any car. Um, but I think the B7's one of the few cars that's actually worth it because when you drive it, it really feels like nothing else. You really, um, it, it feels like. Like, there isn't a car better. Like, when you drive it, you go, there's nothing that can be better than this. I, I can't imagine a luxury car being better than this. Because not only is it great to drive, um, you know, in a calm manner, it's great to drive, you know, in a relaxing manner. It's so comfortable and quiet and smooth and refined. But then when you want to, you know, put the hammer down, it can do all of that as well. And it does everything so well that you just say, yeah, I don't think there's much improvement here. I don't think you can do much much better than this so I, I don't see how uh you know you could want anything else at that price point it's really really a fantastic fantastic machine um and i love the color alpina green it's a simple name too alpina green um lovely color uh looked obviously i don't think the car looks fantastic because i don't love the 7 series because those just the big grills aren't uh that attractive to me and the whole car, even before the 7 Series got the big grill, it's kind of a boring-looking car. Um, it's not really exciting, but the Alpina B7 looks more special. The green helped, to be honest with you, and any other color might be boring. But the green really, really helped. But the wheels are fantastic, um, and I love it's a subtle thing, but it really makes a big difference, and it's the, the rear bumper on the B7. The quad exhausts are housed inside the bumper. Like, they're not underneath it. They stick out through it. And it gives it just a sportier, more aggressive look. And just that little bit, just it, that's the thing with Alpina. Just those little touches just add up to, to make a car that's more than the sum of its parts. And I think that that's important to note. You know, a lot of people think, well, I was getting a little bit of guff from uh, some commenters. Like, well, you don't like the 7 Series. How do you like the B7? Well, it just has enough of those little tweaks that make it more enjoyable to look at. I still don't think it's beautiful. I don't think it's a pretty car, but, uh, you know, it, it's definitely an interesting car, and it certainly stands out. You know, it's a bit of a rock star wherever it goes. And, uh, again, the green paint helps a lot, and it's a great, great, great color. Um, and that really made it stand out, especially with those stunning wheels. The wheels are beautiful, as always. With Alpina, their wheels are absolutely uh, fantastic looking. Um, but, you know, it, it's a great-looking car. My only disappointment with its looks actually really came on the inside. Despite not loving the outside, I, I think it's a cool car because of what it is on the outside. But on the inside, there's really nothing to differentiate the B7 from any other 7 Series, uh, aside from, like, the Alpina 
badges and you know the steering wheel has you know alpina colored stitching in it uh you know the only actually there is one big difference that's the wood the wood green trim in the b7 is beautiful and i'm not typically like that style of wood trim like i like more matte woods the open pour woods that are you know in a lot of modern cars that's more my style but i don't really like the huge really glossy like overly lacquered wood veneers that's usually not my style but the B7's really, I mean, again, I don't think I would choose it but if I were buying the car, but it's impressive. It's, it's gorgeously done, and it really does add a sense of theater to the car because it makes it seem like, the, okay, this is old school luxury. This is, um, this is something special. This is something different than you'd get from any other car, you know, at its price point. Like this wood veneer looks gorgeous, and it really, it really is. It's really impressive. And I actually really liked the... Um, the green ambient lighting it just obviously i know you can change it to a million different colors but whoever drove the car last said it's a green and uh i saw it once at night and i was like i gotta keep this with the just the the green paint on the outside and and uh just the wood trim the green added this really weird like old english style to it and i really liked it a lot it was really cool it was really fun um but aside from that the interior is basically a seven series um, even the lighting that I just mentioned, it's the same thing as you get in the regular 7 Series. You even get the same exact green, so it's not like a, a special B7 thing. It just looked cool with the wood and whatnot. But like the seats are just 7 Series seats, which don't get me wrong, they're wonderful seats. They're incredible seats. They're just not um, any more special than the standard car, and the B7 is much more expensive than the standard car, so you'd hope that it would get better seats. But uh, I hear some rumors that uh, BMW wouldn't allow the nicer Alpina interior uh, for the B7 in the States. I'm not sure how true that is, but um, that's what I've heard. And uh, to be honest, I don't think that's true, but um, I think honestly, maybe there's some BMW uh, hierarchy stuff going on in general, like saying, well, don't make the interior too nice because then no one's going to want to buy the like, expensive 7 Series. But um, aside from that, I, I really don't think that, I, I think it's just kind of a cost thing, uh, especially in the US. Alpina knows they're not going to sell a ton, so. They have the profit margins have to be high, so don't dump a ton of money into the interior because there's a ton of money dumped into the mechanics of it. I mean, they basically rip out everything inside the engine and re-put re all their own stuff back into it, recalibrate the transmission, suspension, eh, all-wheel drive system, rear-wheel steer. Everything is recalibrated by Alpina, and that's a lot. That's a lot of money uh, and a lot of development time to make it right. So I think that I kind of get why um, the, the interior isn't as special as I'd hoped simply because uh, Alpina probably just needs to make an extra buck on it or two, especially in the U.S. market. So I get it. I don't love it, but I, I kind of understand it. And the B7 is also a car that, it's one of those cars that it has, a, it's not a perfect car by any means. Like I said, it's not great looking. The interior isn't that much more special than a 7 Series, if any more special at all. Um, it's very expensive. And, uh, you, you know, I, I think it it could have maybe some more like backseat tech. You know, it, it's just not a perfect car. But it's a car that it doesn't really matter because you excuse its faults because of how good it is to drive. And I think even though I don't like the way it looks particularly, I would still buy one if I had the money because it really is sensational to drive. I think that's important. Um, I was getting some comments about how I, you know, you know, I'm a little crazy for liking it because I'm or I'm hypocritical for liking it because I don't like the way it looks. But to me, looks are a secondary thing. You know, if a car is great to drive, I can deal with you know looks that I don't love. Um, and you know, to me, the driving experience is the number one, the number one thing, and the B7's driving experience is superb. So I would absolutely buy one 
if I could afford one, but I don't think I could afford the insurance on a P7, so uh, I'm not going to have to make that choice anytime soon. Uh, so unfortunately, uh, I have to. That's a hypothetical situation for me. Uh, moving on from the B7, I want to talk about another car I test drove recently, and it was the BMW X5M competition. And it was a car I was excited. I really was excited to drive because I was a really big fan of the. I really like the standard X5. I think the standard BMW X5 is an outstanding SUV. I think it's the best SUV in its class. Um, if you exclude things like the Land Rover Defender um, and stuff like that, like more rugged stuff. If you excuse those and kind of put it in its own luxury class with like the Mercedes and the uh, GLE, I think it's called now, the GLE class, uh, Audi Q7, Jaguar F Pace. Um, I think the X5 is the best blend of all things, even though F-Pace was just updated and it looks fantastic on the inside. I would really like to test that out um, because it's great to drive, but it always had like luxury uh, issues compared to the X5. Um, so I would like to test that out. But as it stands, without testing that, the new facelifted uh, F-Pace, excuse me, I think the X5 standard one is the best SUV in its class. It's fantastic. You know, it looks great. It's great to drive. It's a great ride. It's got great luxury tech on the inside. It's just, it's wonderful uh, all around. The Audi Q7 is a really tough runner-up, but I think I like the X5 better. Um, so I was really pumped to get the X5M and test that out because it's an M. You know, it's 600 horsepower, you know, 617 horsepower because it's a competition model. Um, you know, a wonderful V8, tons of performance. And I was really excited about it, and I was kind of let down, to be honest with you. Because it looks fantastic. It's incredibly fast. But it just didn't feel M sharp. It didn't feel like that. And what disappointed me most about that was actually its little brother, the X3M. Because I remember driving that and thinking, like, this thing's a psychopath. This is an absolute M division car. It is sharp. It is exciting. It is, you know, it handles incredibly well. It's, it's overly stiff to the point of being, like, uncomfortable and hilarious at the same time. You know, it, it's just a pure fire-spitting psychopath. And I, so I thought, like, all right, um, the, the X5M is going to be, it's going to be really good. You know, it's going to be really fun. And it just kind of isn't. It just kind of feels more like, you know what it feels like? It feels like a more uncomfortable X5 M50i, which that car is fantastic. And that's what I want to talk about. I don't think the X5M is worth getting over the X5 M50i. Because the M50i, which is the M performance model, it's not a full-on M. It's cheaper. It's more luxurious. It's not as fast. I honestly think that's the much, not only just the better buy, the much better buy, because I've driven that car, and that car is very comfortable, it is very fast still, like so fast that you'll never notice the difference between an M50i and the full-on M, your butt dyno is never going to notice the difference, fast is fast, and it's, it's, so it's still really, really fast, it handles re remarkably well for an SUV, it's not as sharp as the X5M, or as capable, but it's more comfortable, you get that trade-off. Um, it's more of a luxury car. It's it's better daily. Um, it's a bit more civilized. It's just I think it's the better car overall, and it again it's cheaper. You know the X5M competition that I tested was well over a hundred thousand dollars, which is a lot of money, um, and it's a lot of money for it to not feel that special. That's my problem with it. Um, it but uh, you know it, it's funny because it's objectively it's a good car. You drive it, and if you drive it in isolation, you say, okay, this is a great car. It's really fast. It handles really well for an SUV. It's reasonably comfortable. Uh, the interior is great. It looks really cool. And you say, this is a really impressive car in a vacuum. But if you compare it to its cheaper sibling, the M50i, you go, there's no way that the X5M is worth any more money than the M50i. It's not as good. The M50i is more comfortable, 
basically just as fast in the real world, handles just as well as you're ever going to push an SUV because no one's going to take their SUV to the track because if you want to take an SUV, uh, a car to the track, you don't bring an SUV. You bring a smaller sports car to the track. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't make any sense to me. So, uh, you know, the, the handling, the additional handling capabilities of the X5M will go completely unnoticed from, with literally every customer. No customer is going to notice the difference between the M50i's capabilities and the X5M's capabilities because no one's going to push an SUV that hard. And if you do, you're psycho because they're just too big and heavy to push that hard on a public road. And if you take it to a track, you're taking the wrong car to the track. So get the M50i because that is a superb package. It is so fast. It looks great. It still looks the business for an SUV. Um, its interior is just as good, and it's more comfortable. You can live with it more on a daily basis and uh, just really enjoy it more. And it's just it, it's one, it's that sweet spot of the X5 lineup. And actually, I like every X5 so far. The, even the 40i with the six-cylinder, the straight six, is brilliant. It's a fantastic car. But I think the M50i is the sweet spot because it gives you that, like, you know, kind of M-Division-ish performance. Uh, while still maintaining the everyday usability and like really impressive luxury. So I think that that's a really great car. And so I was a little bit disappointed with the X5M. I kind of wish that it had a little bit harder of an edge just to give it more distinction. Give me a reason to buy the M over the M50i because if the handling capabilities are barely better, why deal with the slightly more uncomfortable ride? Why do that? It just doesn't make any sense. Um, and another thing I was disappointed with is steering was slow. And I get it, it's an SUV, and if you make an SUV steering too sharp and too quick, it kind of gets the, it feels like, you know, unnerving. It gets a little sloppy feeling. I remember feeling that in Alpha Julie, or Alpha Stelvio Quadrifoglio. The car is incredible, but its steering uh, rack was just as fast as the Julia Quadrifoglios, yet it's, you know, eight inches taller. So, like, you would turn in, and it feels like the whole thing wants to flip on you because it just turns in too quickly. So, I get that you don't want to go too fast. But uh, it, it just seems too slow and too, like, it just, the steering wasn't sharp enough for such a M car. And I wish it was a little bit sharper. Um, I just kind of wish it was a little bit sharper overall, just to give it any kind of reason to buy it. You know, give me a distinction there. Give, you know, distinguish it from its siblings as an actual M car. And it just wasn't, you know, M enough for my tastes. And I, that's not just necessarily for my taste, though. It's kind of an ob objective thing. If it's not M enough, why buy it? So uh, that was kind of disappointing. Uh, I really was excited about it um, because of the X3M, which I absolutely love. I think it's a wonderful car. And I think it's probably, aside from like the, the Porsche Macan Turbo, I think the X3M is the coolest performance SUV. And I even say that over the Alpha Stelvio uh, Quadrifoglio, which is better looking. But overall, I think the X3M is the better car. I think it's a much better car, actually. I think it's a more cohesive package. And because I was so impressed with that car, um, I was really excited for the X5M, which let me down. And I'm kind of disappointed about that because I, I, I like the X5 lineup overall, as I said. So I was disappointed to see that. <clears throat> now, speaking of disappointing cars, and I'm not disappointed because I haven't driven it yet, but um, I've been reading some reviews of the... BMW M440i, the embargo just recently lifted, so a lot of journalists have been driving it, and I'm going to be driving it next week. Um, so I'm excited to drive it myself, but I've been reading some reviews, and people aren't necessarily disappointed with how it drives. They're, they're disappointed in what it's become. Um, and let me explain. It seems that BMW has switched, and this we, we kind of heard this before the 4 Series came out, 
Um, and then the press release came out for the 4 Series, which kind of you know contradicted what we had heard. But now it seems that what we had heard originally is true, and it's that the 4 Series has been switched. Rather, from, rather than being a sporty version of the 3 Series, the 4 Series is now a, a GT car. It's basically a small 8 Series. Um, it's heavier than the 3 Series by a considerable margin. It's um, more comfortable. It's quieter. It's more refined. It's it's not the sporty version of the three series. The three series is still a sports sedan. It's the it's the two series that's the sporty version of the three series, or what the, the next gen two series um, is going to be the sporty version of the three series. That's going to be like the three the de facto three series coupe, whereas the four series is now a GT car. It is a mini eight series, and it seems that it's a very good GT car actually, from what I understand. It's actually a very good GT car, but it's just not the Sporty 3 Series. And a lot of fans are disappointed in that. And to be honest with you, now I haven't driven it yet, so I'm driving it next week, and I will get back to you with what I think about it. But I honestly don't see a problem with that. Um, I think I actually kind of like the idea, because to be honest with you, the 4 Series, like the previous Gen 4 Series, wasn't really that much sportier than the 3 Series. It was better. But it wasn't so much better. If you still wanted a sporty coupe, you went with the 2 Series. And that kind of left the 4 Series as this odd man out. It was kind of a tweener. You know, it was it was in between a sports car and a GT car, and it just really wasn't good at either. Um, you know, it wasn't really good at either. It didn't do anything well. It tried to be a jack-of-all-trades, and obviously jack-of-all-trades are sort of... Uh, Jacks-of-all-trades, excuse me, are sort of... You know, they're inherently good at nothing. You know, they're, they're decent at everything, but they're not great at anything. And so that's what it ended up, ended up being. So I think it was actually smart to more clearly define what the 4 Series is, even if it's not what fans may have originally wanted. You know, the 4 Series is now an affordable GT car, and I think that that's great because there are a lot of customers that, like myself, that love GT cars. The idea of a GT car, to me, is one of the best in the automotive industry. It's, it's one of the coolest kind of cars you can buy because there's a romance to a GT car. First of all, there's a romance to just grand touring. The idea of taking someone you really care about, one, just one person, so it's kind of intimate in that regard, and you're you know, you're know going long distances, you know, hopefully somewhere beautiful, um, and you're traveling together, and there's this romance about that, right? And it doesn't matter if it's a friendship or a love interest, it doesn't matter. There's a romance to just kind of traveling with the car, and the car is designed to be fast, uh, great-looking, comfortable, and handle well enough that if you encounter a twisty road, you can have a little bit of fun. And I think, I, I think that's a really, really uh, exciting and you know intriguing package. It, it's one that I think is really attractive. Uh, it's one that I like a lot. I love the idea of a GT car. I would love to own like an older GT car because it's I can only afford older ones. But, but there are a lot of people that want that but can't afford because GT cars are typically very expensive. If you want a, a proper GT from BMW, you have to go up to the BMW 850i, the M850i. That's a hundred grand. You know, um, you know if you want its competitors, you're going to spend more than that. The 8 series is actually one of the lesser expensive um, GT cars on the market. You have cars like the Aston Martin DB11, which is over $200,000. You know, you have the Mercedes S-Class Coupe, which is over well over $100,000. So, you, you know, the, the 8 Series is one of the more affordable GT cars, but then you come down to the 4 Series now, which is very affordable. You're talking fifty grand for an M440i, and that's not bad, especially when you consider what it is now. Um, and it is very comfortable, and it is very quiet, and it's fast. It's very fast. You know, 0-60 in 4 seconds. That That... 
you know, you put that up against uh, an M4, an F82 M4, and the M4 is going to have a real problem keeping up. So that's very fast. Um, and, you know, it has still has back seats. So if you do want to take, you know, your, your kids along with you, you can do that. It has a great trunk. It's a small GT car. And I love, I actually think that's a great idea. I really love that idea, actually. So I love that BMW has clearly defined the 4 Series now. Um, so, because now that's the GT car. And now if you want a sporty coupe, if you want the two-door three series, so to speak, you get the two series. And I think that that's a great idea. It's because this, if you want a sporty three series, you're going to want to go smaller anyway. You're expecting to go smaller. You're not expecting the same practicality as a three series. So why have a bigger one? Make it as small and as fun as you can. So the, clearly, the more clearly defined roles of the two and four series, I think, is a great idea. Now, I know that some fans are disappointed because they were expecting a two-door three series. And the new 3 Series is a great, great premium sports sedan. So I think a lot of people were thinking, like, oh, this is going to be even sportier. This 4 Series is going to be even better to drive. And it's not. But I think that that's okay. Um, obviously, as many of you readers and, and listeners may know, I don't like the way it looks. I really... I, from the front wheel back, I think it looks great. I really do. I think the 4 Series is a, a really pretty car, actually, from the front, the center line of the front wheel and back. But ahead of that, woof. That is a wonky grill. I don't like it at all. I've tried. I've really tried to accept it. And maybe I'll grow, grow into it and get used to it. But uh, I don't like it as it stands right now at all. But it's a shame because I think the rest of it's a great looking car. And as I mentioned before, I will. I have no problem buying a car if I, that I don't really love the way it looks. So long as it's great to drive. And from what I understand, the new 4 Series sounds really good to drive it sounds like a great car to me and I actually like the idea of the convertible uh, because i think that just makes if it's a gt car that just makes it better you know you drop the top you add more excitement you add more romance you add you just you increase the experience of the car and i love the fact that the new 4 series convertible went to a soft top rather than a hard top because that does i mean it makes it better in every single way uh, it looks more elegant and if you don't believe me ask bentley aston martin uh, rolls royce mercedes-benz porsche because they all use soft tops rather than hard tops because they're better <laughs> they look more elegant when you have a hard top uh, convertible and the roof is up it just looks like a coupe that's been drawn by a five-year-old um it just doesn't look right the, propor the proportions are weird and plus the soft top is significantly lighter you're talking at least 100 pounds and not only is it lighter but it, it lowers the center of gravity because you get less weight up top so it's a better driving car, it's a better handling car. Uh, the lighter the car is, the, e the easier it is to make it ride well. Um, you know, it just, it just makes it better in every single way. And modern fabric roofs are so good at insulating noise and temperature, so there's no one's gonna have any issues uh, with it being loud or cold or something like that in the, you know, in, in bad weather with the roof up, um, because modern fabric roofs are just fantastic. I actually, I remember last year, actually, I spoke to the company that makes the fabric roofs for basically every uh, soft top convertible on the market. Um, and they were talking about the process that goes into developing the fabric and the lining and all sorts of stuff. Um, and it's really impressive what they, they do. There's a really uh, interesting science to it. So trust me, it's going to be great. Um, and I, So I really like that idea. <clears throat> and also, I just think that the the car looks a little bit better with the soft top because once the car the roof is down you kind of more focus on that <laughs> in the front of it um so it kind of distracts from the the new grill 
But like if I was in the market for a GT car, you know, I don't have $100,000 to spend on a GT car. The 4 Series seems like a really good one to me. Um, and I love the way that it, it, if it, I love the way that it sounds like it handles. Again, I haven't driven it yet, but if it, if it just feels like a, a more comfortable 3 Series, I'm game. I'm down. I think that sounds really good. Um, you know, and there's a, there's a lot of great looking cars in that segment. The Audi A5 convertible is really sharp looking. Um, the Cabriolet, I think it is actually. Uh, the Mercedes C-Class convertible is very good looking. That's a gorgeous car. So I have to drive them all to see which one I like. But to be honest with you, I like the idea that the 4 Series is kind of leaning more GT. I think that's a good idea. <clears throat> actually, I think it's a really good idea. The more I talk about it, the more I'm like talking myself into it. It sounds, it sounds like a really smart move by BMW to just clearly define those roles. Um, and plus, every other car in its segment is that way. Every other car in the segment is more GT car than sports car, especially the C-Class, which is very comfy, and it's beautiful, and the interior is beautiful. So if, if you're trying to, like if BMW was the only sports car, I mean, I guess it goes two ways. If, BMW, if the 4 Series is the only sports car, you're going to get the people that really want a sports car in that segment buying the 4 Series. But if you really want a sports car, you don't buy a 4,000-pound car. You buy the, the 2 Series, which is much lighter. So if you want a sports car, you're not buying the 4 Series anyway. So that segment, especially the convertible segment, um, you know, that, that like small, uh, comfy coupe is really dominated by the C-Class and the Audi A5 and, or coupe and convertible, excuse me, is really dominated by the C-Class and the Audi A5. So I think BMW really needed to go in that same direction if it wanted to compete. So it's probably a good idea that the 4 Series is no longer a sportier 3 Series. I think they made the right move there. Um, and I'm kind of happy about it, actually. And speaking of GT cars, there's another one I want to touch on really quick. And it's not a BMW, but I just read it in. I just read about it, and it blew, it blows me away. And it's something that I think um, BMW might want to look into competing against because I don't see how anyone's going to buy anything like it over this car. And it's the Porsche 911 Turbo S. I just read and saw the performance figures of that car. 650 horsepower from a twin turbocharged flat six and you know all-wheel drive eight-speed dual clutch automatic the numbers don't sound that much better than let's say an m850i or even a bmw m8 but car and driver just tested it and it did zero to 60 miles per hour in 2.2 seconds (laughs) 2.2 seconds that's an that's so fast the air out of your lungs gets sucked out somehow like that's crazy talk that's madness i think the only car the car and driver recorded that was faster was the porsche 918 spider which did like 2.1 or something insane like that 2.2 seconds from just 650 horsepower and i say just like that's not a lot of, uh, of power but you you look at cars like the mclaren 720s that aren't that fast that have you know 700 over 700 horsepower the bugatti chiron has 15 1600 horsepower not nearly that quick you know, I mean, I say not nearly. They do the 060, 2.5, 2.6 seconds, stuff like that. But 2.2 out of a car that can, that only has 650 horsepower is madness. I don't know how Porsche does it. They are magic. They are absolute magic. And another thing, um, I saw it on Car and Driver, and it ran the quarter mile consistently. Not Car and Driver, excuse me, Car Wow video. Um, it ran the quarter mile in 10.1 seconds. Over and over again, it will do it. And that's the thing with Porsches. Their launch control systems and their gearboxes are so strong and so good 
that they can launch at those ridiculous speeds over and over and over and over and over and over again with no issues. And just, I mean, in, in consistent times, it's a thing that consistent times, 10.1 seconds in the quarter mile. That is a rocket ship. I mean, Lucid just had that big display where they ran like a 9.9 in the quarter mile, and it took like 1,200 horsepower to do that and three electric motors. This is 650 horsepower and a gasoline engine, and it does it in 10.1. That is madness. That is just so fast. It's... Uh, how do you compete with that? If you're buying any car in that segment, how do you justify, like if you want a performance car in that segment, how do you justify getting anything else? And the nice thing about the 911 Turbo S is it's the GT 911. It's the more comfortable one. It's the one that you can take on long journeys. You know, if you want a sports car, you get the GT3. But the Turbo S is sort of like the comfortable one. It does a lot for you. It's highly electronic, you know, all-wheel drive, dual-clutch gearbox only. Um, you know, it's very electronic, it's very it's highly turbocharged, it's, it's the car that will do ridiculous performance times, but you can also take it 500 miles on a nice road trip and you won't be uncomfortable. So, if you're buying a car, like I wouldn't even look at an Aston Martin DB11, just simply because even though the DB11 is much prettier, the, the ability to roast a Bugatti Chiron at the line, you know, at a stoplight, is hilarious to me. Like the ability to say, I'm in a car that you know most wealthy people can afford, and you pull up to a light, and it doesn't matter what pulls up next to you. It doesn't matter if it's the you know a Bugatti Chiron, Dodge Demon, Tesla Model S, P100D, Raven, Cheetah, you know Rocket, Cheetah, whatever the hell it's called now. That thing isn't even as fast as the 911 Turbo S. That is so incredible to me that I don't know how anyone else is going to compete. Um, and you look at, and here's another thing, people were wondering why the BMW M8 competition isn't selling. That's why it's not selling, because it's almost the same price as the 911 Turbo. And it's it's slower, it handles worse, um, you know, you, you feel like you get less for your money with the M8 competition. Like, what do you, what else do you actually buy in that price point? That just blows my mind. I, I had to talk to, uh, talk to you guys about it, because it, it, the performance figures are just staggering. How Porsche does that? with that little amount of power is nothing short of remarkable. They are, at the moment, the performance champions. It is outstanding what they can do. Um, but that's it for this week. Uh, sorry to talk to, to end on a Porsche note. I know I'm going to get some, uh, some comments about being a Volkswagen Group uh, fanboy. But uh, if you don't like Porsche, I don't think you like cars. I'm just going to throw that one out there. Um, but uh, that's all for this week. Next week, we have a great guest, someone who actually owns a couple of very cool BMWs. So we're going to talk to them next week. Uh, and stay tuned for that. And we're going to try to have some more guests on soon. And I have a couple of really interesting test drives that I want to talk to you guys about that are going to happen between now and the next uh, podcast episode. So stay tuned for that. And uh, as always, thank you for listening.